Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Uh, my family is here today. My mom, my dad, and my sister. You guys got to stand up. I got to get some honor. Come on now. Stand up. I want to give you. Say hello. Come on. There's my parents. They weren't, they weren't counters. They didn't count. I didn't even know parents could count. Like, what they said, we did. All right. Fear of the Lord. All right. Um, just want to give honor honors to you. I love my family. Um, they're, at our, they're at the 9 a.m. service. And I'm nervous. Okay. Um, I'm going to try to do my best today. Uh, if you have been with us uh, for the last two months, we started a series titled, Who is this Jesus? And I posed this question. It was from Matthew 16. And if I had a hookup at United Airlines or Emirates or whatever nice airlines, I would get us all hooked up to fly to Israel together. Get a ton of planes out there. We're only fine business class. None of that coach. Come on. Now. Can I get an amen? Um, 15 hours sitting like this. No, thank you. Um, I would want to take you to Caesarea Philippi. It's one of these small little towns where Jesus ministered. And there's this epic moment. And Jesus like, have you, anybody married to somebody who's pretty dramatic? Like, just like they, they make things more dramatic than they should be. Like, if there's a bug in the house, Rachel's like, there's a fly in the house. Like, just you respond differently to things, you know? Like, like you're like, oh my gosh. You're like, what is it? Oh, I see a bug. Like, relax. Like, like Rachel freaks me out all the time because uh, she's very dramatic. Now, she did take drama, and so it just seeps in. Well, well, Jesus at times would do dramatic things. And Matthew 16, he creates this dramatic stage. I actually got some pictures I want to show you real quick. This is the um, Caesarea Philippi. Rachel, I got to actually go there a little bit, hang out. Um, so that's, oh, hold on, time out. You can actually see me right here. Shout out, shout out, shout out to Travis Matthews. Zip up. Come on now. Um, next picture. I do believe there's more than one. Never mind. Okay, no, no, hide. That's weird. Okay, you can shut it down. Thought I had three. We'll, we'll, we'll coordinate. Um, so they had uh, baked lays at uh, Accessory Philippi, huh? That's really important to show me. That's for an illustration later on in the message. Let's just uh, dive in. Uh, that right there is the ruins of one of the biggest, if not the most famous temple at the time for the uh, god of Pananias. And we actually get the word panic from that. Uh, pound for pound, square foot for square foot, there were 14 different temples in the Caesarea Philippi. All idol worship baby sacrifice, like just absolute darkness in this area. And Jesus brings his disciples out to that region and they know what's in that region. This is the epicenter of dark religion, dark idol worship, dark ideology in all the world at this moment. And Jesus says, I want to share something with you. Come follow me over here. And as he does this, here's what he says. When Jesus came to this region, Caesarea Philippi, he asked disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah and one other the prophets. It's amazing in the Bay Area, we're in the least church region in all the U.S. 4% are Christian, 96% have no idea how good God is, how kind he is, how redeeming he is. So when you ask people who is Jesus, they have a lot of opinions. Jesus would ask the same question today. And I love what he does. He says, okay, what are people saying about me? But now he makes it personal. He says this, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered this question. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You do not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. I love that Jesus takes us where we're at, loves us where we're at, but makes us way better than we ever could have been on our own. 
Come on, he takes Simon where he's at, loves him where he's at, but he makes him something greater than he ever could have been on his own. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. He's saying in this dramatic moment with 14 different temples, uh, Pananias, the, the, the Roman um, um, uh, emperor at this time, loved this God, his favorite God. He says, all this doesn't going doesn't gonna to stop. It's not going to hold a candle to the gospel of who I am. It's going to tear it all down and it's going to build everything back up. The reason why we started this series is I've talked to way too many people that have an opinion about Jesus, but they really haven't really thought about Jesus like enough. And so this is what I started this series with. I thought it ended is from C.S. Lewis. He said this, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying a really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man that said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man and was and is the son of God, or else a madman who is something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So two months later, I'm hoping if you've been in this series, if you haven't, shout out, I'll give you two of my favorites. Um, when Jesus comes to church and when Jesus asks a question. If you want to go back and watch it, it's been one of my favorite series we've ever shared the last two months. But I'm finishing on this thought. When you find out he's good. A lot of you, you don't know he's good. There's three things I'm going to uh, kind of land on. We're going to kind of bounce around a little bit today. But the first one is I was talking to one of my friends on Friday and he asked me, why does it take people so long to find out Jesus is good? And not only people who don't you know, know the Lord, who don't say that they're Christians, but even Christians, it takes them so long to know they're good. So we're going to talk about why does it take so long to find out he's good. Second thing we're going to talk about is when you do find out he's good, what happens to you? And last but not least, when you find out you're not good. That's going to be fun to talk about, yeah? <laughs> All right, let's bow your heads. I'm going to pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much for what you're doing at Mission Church. God, you are alive. You, God, you want to do something in our life today. God, you want to set us free of things that is stealing from us. God, I just come against apathy. I come against shame. I come against uh, the things of the enemy that would try to hold us back from encountering the living God. God, I pray right now that my words would fall to the floor and your words are sore. And everybody said? So the first question I want to ask today is why does it take people so long to find out he's good? And I wrote down three things. People are one of the biggest barriers of you finding out that Jesus is good. Second one is just a lack of knowledge. The Bible says in Hosea 4, 6, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. They just don't know. And then last but not least, the reason why people don't know God's good, bad church. There's a lot of bad church out there. Not mission church. Now, come on now. Um, sorry about the standing room only in the back. That's bad, but that's okay. Um, I want you to hear this real quick. I did not grow up in church. Um, I remember starting to go to church at age 16. And so I was trying to think of moments in my life before I was a Christian, before I started going to church, how many Christians I met that were just people who go, man, they're so good. They, 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 they would, let me put it this way. Let me put uh, uh, kind of posture it this way. I would meet a Christian and go, man, I want to go to church now. I want whatever you have. And it was really sad. I could only think of two people in my 16 years of life before I went to church. Two people. I had a list of other type of Christians that I met in those 16 years. Oh, a list of self-righteous Christians, shaming Christians, Christians who presented good but didn't act good. 
And then I became a Christian. And then I started doing the same thing. I, I, I'll share a story, what I'm trying to uh, communicate to you. So um, uh, we can fall into this trap at times. I call it the looking good trap. So Rachel and I get married. Uh, we went to this place called Maui for a honeymoon. Uh, if you're wondering where Rachel and I were at this last week, we went to Maui to mission to the people of Maui and tell them about Jesus. And so we went to nice restaurants because people at nice restaurants need Jesus. And so, so we were at Merriman's in Kapaloo and we're like, Jesus is real. I'll take the filet. Okay, anyways. Um, so, uh, so we went to Maui for the week. It was amazing. But uh, Maui's the very first time I ever went was for our honeymoon. And, uh, you know, we did all the Hawaii typical things for the first time you've ever been. We're like, let's sign up for the catamaran sunset thing. So we're on the, the sail, you know, thing for our honeymoon. It's like the most romantic thing ever, you know. I'm like hugging Rachel as we sail on the water. And, you know, like the music's playing in my head. It's amazing. And the next night we go to the luau. You got to go to the luau for the first time you go to Hawaii. So the luau, you sit at a table of eight people. And, you know, people start introducing themselves and it gets to me and, you know, there's a dentist at the table, there's an accountant at the table. And they're like, you know, Rachel, you know, worked for Sony Pictures at the time. She's like, oh yeah, I work at Sony Pictures. And, um, and then there's, there's me. And people are like, what do you do? I, I'm a pastor. And then from the rest of the time, it was just awkward at the table, you know, because it's like free alcohol the whole time, you know, everybody, like you're supposed to have a good time. And then there's like the pastor, you know, and, um, and so like, um, and I, at this time of our marriage, I didn't drink at all, like at all, at all. Like, like, like I was part of a denomination that, that, you know, um, thought alcohol was evil. And so I never drank alcohol, but then the Lord showed me the light and said, wine is good for you. Come on now. Uh, it's first Timothy, Timothy has some for your tum tum. I said, okay. Um, so, so God is for Cabernet and Pinot Noir and Pinot Grigio, you name it. He likes it. Um, so, so, um, but at this time I did not drink, but I was like, I gotta, I gotta have something at this table around these people. Uh, cause I don't want them to feel awkward. So I got a Mai Tai and I just took like two sips. That was it. Like a couple sips. And I'm just trying to, you know, present myself as a young 29 year old pastor at a table of all full adults, you know, uh, 40 plus. And, and so I'm trying to be good. And I get up to go use the bathroom and I'm wearing flip-flops and my flip-flop catches on the chair and I start stumbling backwards, you know, and they knew I had a Mai Tai. And the first thing that popped in my head was, I'm not drunk as I'm falling backwards. And I scream it to the whole table. Which says to everybody at the luau, that guy is drunk. <laughs> and I remember being so upset. I was like, Rachel, like, I didn't even have any. But like, the first thought I thought was, they know I'm a pastor, and a pastor can't be drunk. So I'm falling, and I'm tripping. And all I'm thinking about is not actually falling. I'm thinking about, they're going to think I'm a bad pastor and a bad Christian because I'm drunk. So I yell, I'm not drunk. I was like, what is wrong with, hey, get that drunk guy out of here. you know? <laughs> and I started thinking about, what was the source out of everything that could have bubbled out of my heart? What, what, what was the pressure on me? And I call it the look good trap. Christians can fall into the trap of looking good instead of being good. And I've met way more Christians trying to look good to this world instead of being good to this world. And Jesus said it this way. He said, you whitewashed tombs. Liddy calls the Pharisees. You're this whitewashed tombs. You're trying to look good. He goes, but you're hypocrites and you're wicked and you're gross. And the reality is, is what we have in Christianity, one of the reasons why people don't know God's good is we have a packaging problem. We just, we haven't been packaging correctly when we leave, the, when we leave our house sometimes. Uh, you ever, I got actually a couple of things, um, uh, some packaging problems that would uh, hurt, uh, hurt people trying to buy. Here's the first one. Bake lays. <laughs> boop, boop. 
All right, there we go. So, so this is the first one. So you're going shopping. Here's your new bigger size, okay? This is a packaging problem. Like, I feel like I'm not going to buy it now because I know you're ripping me off. You're lying to me, okay? Uh, the next one, a packaging problem. Uh, okay, this is crazy. You got to look close. So these are same company. One is a cooking spray for pancakes. The other one is furniture polish. And to be honest, they're probably the same ingredients. Let's just be honest, okay? But, but that is some scary pack. I'm not buying that, okay? Uh, next one. Okay, this one gets me. Who put the bald guy on a head and shoulder shampoo thing? Somebody started clicking and clicking. That's, just, that's bad. Like if you, so if I use the shampoo, I'm going to become bald. Is that what you're trying to tell me? Like that's some bad packaging. Can we agree with that? And I think one of the problems why people don't know he's good, when my friend just asked me on Friday, it just bothered me. I was like, why don't people know? And one of the first things I went to is, man, we got a packaging problem. Is we try to present ourselves as just good. You know, I mean, raise your hand if you were perfect this week. Read your Bible for an hour every day, prayed for an hour. Every time you drove on the road, you just thought good thoughts towards everybody, you know? You know, you're just like, you walk into Starbucks, you're like, hey, like, who did? Nobody. The world is not looking for a perfect Christian. They're looking for a real Christian. And, and here's what that means. Here's the packaging of that. The package is this. People, people are attracted to humility, the kindness, generosity. People actually are real vulnerable about actually what they're going through. Something I love about our church, and I think we have in spades, is when you talk to people, they're not trying to present something. They're just letting you know they're on a journey. And so one of the first things I could just encourage us as a church is let's not be a people that try to package, look at me, I'm good. No, actually, let's try to package the thing that look at who saved me, he's good. Can I get amen for that? So the first barrier of why we don't know he's good is because we try to package the wrong things. Second reason is, uh, oh, actually, i got to read you this Dallas Willard uh, quote. It's just too good not to read. The greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of heaven in every corner of human experience. Oof. Uh, Gandhi said this way, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Oof. Not Mission Church. I'm believing we're going to be a different type of church. I believe we're going to look like Jesus. I think we're going to love like Jesus, serve like Jesus. I mean, you are a special church, but church. I love what we're doing in the Bay Area. Second reason why I think people don't know he's good is they don't read the Bible. They just don't know truth. Um, it says this in 2 Peter 3.8. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some uh, count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. When I wasn't a, you know, full-fledged Christian going to church or anything, something that I struggled with is how can I worship a God who would send people to hell? It just doesn't, it's not good to me. And so I, I would wrestled with it. And then I started reading the Bible and I realized that Jesus does everything in his power to make sure that you have to walk over his dead body to hell. He, does, he even says, like, I'll, I'm doing everything. I'm slow to anger. Uh, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. He is doing everything and anything to say, give me a shot to save your life. Yeah. Uh, you don't look throughout the Bible ever just like, you, hell, you, heaven, you, hell, you, heaven. All he's doing over and over again is dying to self, serving and loving, and then eventually dying on the cross for you and I so all of us can say yes to him. Yeah. Do you know when, they, when we even use the word hell in the, in the, um, in the Gospels, it's actually the word Gehenna. And Gehenna actually was a real place in Israel. Just went there. I don't know if I just told you that. But anyways, um, 
I'll take you to Gehenna also. Gehenna was this real place, and it was actually a place where garbage was on fire. And Jesus is basically saying, without me, your life is going to be a living hell. It's going to be hell without me. And what is hell without him? He says, basically, your life is a dumpster fire without me. And so he comes and he preaches the gospel. And the gospel is not just getting to heaven, but it's actually getting heaven to you today. Life, abundance, joy, all those kind of things. And he literally does everything in his power to make sure that you would repent. First thing he pre- preached ever, it was in Matthew 4, repent for the kingdom of God is near. A.K.A. an invitation to say, hey, would you turn away from the dumpster fire and actually come experience life? And the more and more I read my word, I realized, God, you're just so good. You're so patient with me. I, I, so many times I rebelled against you. So many times I questioned you. And some, I even mocked you at times in my life. And still, when I was ready to repent and turn, you were ready to receive me. That's a good God. Amen? Amen. Third reason why I think people reject um, and don't understand God is good is because of bad church. Bad church. What makes bad church? We have the greatest message ever. The greatest message ever. There is a God who loves you, like, unconditionally. You're like, hold on a second. Un- no, unconditionally. Loves you where you're at, loves you too much to leave you there in despair and depression. He wants to bring you out of it, so he loves you unconditionally. We have the greatest Savior. So how in the world can we not have great church? It's when you have bad servants in the house. Now, we have Mission Track today, and uh, if you've never been to Mission Track, there is a famous story I share in Mission Track every single time, and it's about Mustard's Restaurant in Napa. Raise your hand if you've been to Mustard's Restaurant in Napa. Okay, people love it. I don't know Why? But people love it, okay? So Shane and Carrie, Shane's our uh, production guy also. He was killing on the drums today. Um, we move, they move up here, and it's like, our, you know, they're like, oh, we, we love being up here. Napa's one of our favorite places. Five years ago, they're like, you have to go to our favorite restaurant with us, uh, Mustard's. I'm like, okay, okay, we'll go, we'll go. It must be pretty good. So they're bragging about it. So we get there, and, you know, and they're known for, like, this famous pork chop. It's on a lot of food magazines. So, so I remember us going there, and it's like they're the greatest restaurant ever, they tell us. Well, we get there, and the servant's there. Uh, like, we get sad, and it's just kind of, like, awkward at first. And then the lady who's taking our order, she's just quick, and she's angry. Like, I order um, the pork chop, and I order some calamari. The calamari um, comes, and I go, can I get a side of sauce for the calamari? And she's like, it's in the, in the calamari. It's like, I know. I'm just really saucy, and I love dipping in sauce, too. Can I just have a little side of the sauce? She's like, fine. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, she's angry at me. And then she comes by, and me and Shane still laugh about it. She takes the sauce, and she goes, good luck. And we're like... Did you do something to the sauce? Like, good luck to the sauce? Like, good luck to you? That's, that's not what servers are supposed to say when they give you food. I'm scared, you know? Slams it down, good luck. And I remember, like, like you know, I hate it still. I'm alive, so it's all good. Um, and so I'm dipping in the sauce. And I remember just, it was a terrible experience. And um, Rachel and I, we get in the car. I told her, I'm never going back to Mustard's. Now, Carrie got us a free meal, so I went back to Mustard's. And then after that, I said, I'm never going back to Mustard's. It's fascinating to me. Um, and I got more mustard stories for you. Come on now. Time out. We're going to put that on the shelf. People can get burnt by the club and they go back to the club. They can be burned by alcohol. Alcohol will ruin a day or a season of their life and they'll go back to alcohol. They'll get burned by Taco Bell. Oh, the times I've been burned by Taco Bell. Waking up at 3 a.m. Saying, I will never eat Taco Bell again. And then Friday comes around and Rachel's like, you want to talk about? Yeah, let's get Taco Bell, you know? And then we go to Taco Bell. I'm like, oh, why? You know, like, I've been burned many times by Taco Bell. Raise your hand, you been burned by Taco Bell. Come on, we've been burned by it, but we go back to it. Burned by a person, you go back to that person. But somebody who gets burned by church, I'm done. It's like the one, I got burned by church. I'm not getting, no, I'm not getting a shot. I mean, this week, 
We're taking out, we uh, um, uh, have two new employees we added, Justin Toll and Jordan Meach. We love them so much. Come on, give a shout out. Come on, they, they started this week, two of the best humans. So we had to go celebrate. So we went out to lunch and we went to this place called Longport and they had my favorite crab cakes. And, and uh, I was like, I'm never going back to Mustards. And, 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 and uh, so we're talking about crab cakes and out of the blue, Jordan Meach goes, you know who has the best crab cakes? So I was like, who? She goes, Mustards. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I hate that place. So I was like, I had a terrible experience. Like, they have amazing crab cakes. And I was like, well, they have amazing, all right, I'll give it another shot. All right, we dive into it. So Rachel and I went to Mustards on uh, Thursday for lunch with the Glaciers, and I made a reservation for Mustards to try the crab cakes. It was pretty easy to get me back in Mustards, to be honest. All I needed here was they had great crab cakes. So we show up to Mustards, and I walk in, and I go, hi, uh, Tyler Johnson here. You know, it was, uh, we, we, we um, got there a little later for lunch. It was like a 1.30 lunch. I said, yeah, reservations for uh, 1.30, Tyler Johnson. She goes, um, yep, see you here. Uh, go ahead and walk around the garden. And uh, we'll call you up. And I was like, what if I don't want to walk around the garden? Like, can I stay right here? She's like, well, your table isn't ready. They're still sitting there. So um, if you want to stand here, you can stand here. But you can go look around the garden. I'm like, well, h- how long do you think they're going to be there? She's like, I don't know. They're sitting there. I was like, okay, okay. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll be over here. Okay. And I was like, golly, mustard strikes again. I mean, I'm just walking in. This girl's just slicing and dicing me up. <laughs> you know, I was like, I just want to try your crab cakes, you know. So 1.47, 17 minutes later, just standing there, never looked at the garden, okay, came up, and I just did a little check. Just, and hey, if you know me, I'm finesseful. I'm not like, hey, where's my table? Like, that's not me, okay? I just walked, I'm like, hey, um, do you know if it's going to be like, because we actually were kind of, we got to get back. My wife, you know, Rachel had worship practice that night, so we were like on a tight schedule. And so I was like, maybe we should just drive to R&D Kitchen, who always hugs me and treats me well, tells me I look beautiful, like R&D is good to me. And so I was like, you know how much longer like it's going to be? Just, just, just check it, you know? And she's like, you want me to go walk by and look at him? And I was like, And I just gave her deuces. And I said, you know, it's okay. We're actually going to go somewhere else. You know, have a great day. And she goes, what? I was like, we're going to go somewhere else. Have a great day. What? And I was like, I got bye, bye. Okay, I got to go. <laughs> never had the crab cakes, Jordan. I'm sorry. I never had the crab cakes. And I was like, I can't believe I gave mustards three tries because crab cakes got me through the door. But when it comes to church, and people had a bad church experience, man, we got to find the right thing to get them back in the door. If you know me, crab cakes will get me through the door. What, what, what could you say to somebody who needs to hear the gospel for the next time just to get them through the door? I mean, and this is, this is where it gets really good. We're going to go to the next point is when you find out he's good because the reality is, is that when Jesus came, he didn't hide his goodness. He didn't hide his motives. It literally, this is literally the first thing he preached, and this is where I feel like if, if, if you're newer to church or if you hate church, hated church for a long time, I think this is going to maybe grab you. And I just got to tell you something real quick. Jesus' church plant strategy wasn't very good. Like, it wasn't impressive. Like, him changing the world, he didn't have like a five, he didn't grab his side, like, a five-point strategy, here's what we're going to do, all right? We're going to have great worship, all right? Uh, which, do we have great worship here? Is it, there ain't nothing wrong with great worship. Um, I love Greg. He's like, all right, we're going to do five interest services, all right? Me, the Savior of the world, is going to preach at those five interest services. Then, after the three years of me doing ministry, we're going to launch Jesus Church, and we're going to change the world. Like, like, and sometimes what happens in church world is that we forget the simplicity on how to change the world. 
And so when Jesus comes on the scene, he doesn't come with a strategy. He comes with a spirit and a mission and a focus. And, and, and that's why I love our church name, Mission Church. Our mission isn't get people to church. Our mission is get the church to the people. We're trying to change the world one person at a time to know the love of God, the peace of God, the joy of God. And so Jesus comes out of the scene in Matthew 4, 17. He says, uh, sorry, excuse me, uh, Luke 4, 14 says this. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had uh, been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, unrolling it. He found the place where it is written. And this is Jesus declaring his ministry, declaring his motives, declaring the good news. And here's what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began saying that today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, I think we all can agree, most people, I don't want to speak on your behalf, but I think most people, if you're not the most dense person in the world, you know when things are off. If you're married, you know when your marriage is off. Like, you know, like you just had an off week. Like, you know, you walk in the house, you're like, we're just not clicking the way we used to click. We're off. Like, you're not as kind as you used to be. I'm not as kind as I used to be. Something's off. You know, like when you, when you have a friendship and it was just fantastic and then something just clicked off. You know, even your own self, like you're like, man, I used to be on it. Something just feels off. Like we, 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 know, we, we know we can discern it. And the reality is, is let's, let's make it on a bigger scale. We know when like the world's just off. Like something's not right right now. Something, and this is from the beginning of time. I'm not talking about, you know, a political statement. I'm saying ever since Adam and Eve sinned, it just hasn't been good. Like, like brokenness entered the world. You know, hunger entered the world. Despair and darkness entered the world. That's why I love the song where, you know, he made the darkness go running. Like when darkness entered the world, what came with darkness was depression and anger and jealousy and insecurity and shame, all those kind of things. It just fell off. And so Jesus comes on the scene and he says, I'm going to take what's off and I'm going to make it right again. I'm going, to, I'm going to make things good again, and, and, and I'm the good one. And if, if I had time, I'd actually read from John 6, and um, uh, I want to condense it for you so we can um, maximize this Sunday morning. I'd encourage you to go read John 6 on your own today. Uh, there's only one miracle outside of the resurrection that is covered in all four Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, the first three are synoptic, and then there's John. Synoptic just means similar. There's three that are very similar. But you have the resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, all four. The only other miracle in all four of those Gospels that the Holy Spirit wanted to make sure that we saw over and over again was the bread and the feeding the 5,000. And I thought it was fascinating, so I had to study this week. And, and so you, you, you read this story of the bread and the feeding the 5,000, and as you, as you read this, the story, you see these people, and they're hungry. It says Jesus felt compassion, and so he took you know, a little bit of loaves, a little bit of fish, uh, they took, actually, Philip took it from a little boy. Um, I'm guessing the boy volunteered it because it would be weird if it started with theft. But anyways, the little boy said, hey, use my food. Um, and so then uh, they fed the 5,000, and it's this amazing miracle. And then, and then Jesus, you know, uh, gets away, and, and they follow him again. And they start following him not because of who he is but what they can get from him. And isn't that just a picture of most of us when we first, like, pursue Jesus? I don't want you, Jesus. I just want you to give me stuff. I call it the American gospel. 
Like, it's basically like, um, I just want you to get me to heaven, and then I really like the kingdom I made, and so can you just help my life, you know, get me promotions? Like, like it's basically American gospel, which the kingdom of heaven is the opposite. It's like, no, Jesus actually wants to change your life today, give you heaven today and heaven when you pass away. And so uh, at the very end, Jesus starts to um, talk to him, and they say, okay, we'll believe. Just give us another sign. Give us a miracle. And Jesus doesn't give him another miracle. He says, you want another miracle of bread? And he goes on to say, I am the bread. And it's this fascinating moment. And if you just kind of read, you're like, what? Jesus says, I'm the bread. Then he goes on to say, like, you know, like, if you don't eat of this bread, you don't drink of this blood. It's like, like whoa, this has got into, like, what, is, what are you saying right now? And, and bottom line, Jesus talks in metaphors all the time, living water. And he's basically saying, until you encounter me, until you realize that I'm everything your soul desires, you'll be asking for the silliest things for the rest of your life. Let me put it this way. Do you ever wonder why Jesus didn't actually, like, take a tree and turn into a dinosaur? He's like, 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 you know, John 5, where Jesus turns a tree into a dinosaur, you know? You know, John 7, Jesus makes helicopters fly. Like, like why doesn't he do that? Every single one of Jesus' miracles is when people are hungry, they're fed. The blind are seen, a.k.a. the, the world that is so broken, he is restoring what sin broke. Every miracle is to stop the decay and death of what sin does to a human being and bring him back to life. Every miracle just points to him bringing, it's, it's an ode to what Eden, uh, the Garden of Eden was, but it's also a foreshadowing to what our world will be when he makes a new heaven and a new earth. No more tears, no more sickness, everything. So every miracle, it says it's a sign, it points to the person who's going to do everything. So he says, I am the bread. Now, I just got to say real quick, um, my wife makes this amazing, amazing pasta. It's amazing. It's like the best spaghetti ever. I could describe it to you right now, but you're not going to leave here going, mm, I'm full. That was delicious. You know, like angel hair pasta. She puts in the sausage and some, some uh, you know, some beef. And then, then she puts this garlic chopped up. And then she puts a ton of other little tomato sauces, cooks it. It's, it's the best pasta ever. Me just talking about it, don't do nothing for you. Let me, let me put it this way. If I had two people, I was thinking about doing this, but just for the sake of time, I wasn't going to do it. Two people listen to an instrumental music. One on my right, one on my left, the same song. I would say, it's one of the greatest instrumental songs of all time. I want you to listen to it and write down what you hear. And they would write, like, beautiful noises in the beginning. And then, and then, and then it crescendos here. And then there's a thing that chimes in. Okay, like, you haven't somebody describe it, but until actually I just press play and we play the, the music over the speakers, you're not going to enjoy that song. And the reality is, is that Jesus is saying, I need you to encounter me. I get that you want me to do another miracle, but that's just me talking about me. That points to me. It's a sign to me, but I need you to actually do enjoy me. I need you to see me. Because Christianity, it's not actually about having like a watertight like argument. Like people are like, tell me why I should believe in Jesus. I'm like, actually, I don't want to have an argument with you. I don't have a watertight argument. I have a watertight person. His name is Jesus. And, and, and so... Um, I wanted to read you a, a testimony of Blaise Pascal. He was, was the greatest mind in France uh, in the 1600s, and some believe he still is the greatest mind ever to live in France. He's one of the greatest philosophers, hands down, mathematician, ever to live. And he had this encounter with the Lord uh, one night. He said this, in the year of 1654, in the year of grace, he says, fire. Just writes down fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. He starts writing down his experience. God's doing something. He's experienced the Lord. He goes, now the philosophers will learn or the certitude or the certitude feeling joy. 
He goes on to say, certitude, certitude. I'm feeling joy, peace. The God of Jesus Christ, my God, you are God. Your God will be my God. Forgetfulness of the world and everything except God. He is only found by the ways taught in the gospel. Grandeur of the human soul. Righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And he writes this at the very end. Joy, 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 tears of joy. He ended up taking that testimony of his encounter with the Lord and he sewed it into his pocket so it would be over his heart for the rest of his life. And when I was preparing my message, I was like, Lord, how do I tell people you're good? Like, should I tell them, like, you know, hey, he's, he's unforgiving. I mean, he's, oh, sorry, uh, he's forgiving. Uh, he's, he's loving. Uh, his love is unconditional. Um, what should I tell, like, what should I brag about you? And the more and more I study the scriptures, the more and more you see that if you're somebody who knows somebody who doesn't know the Lord, just pray that they would actually encounter God. Pray that their eyes would be open to his goodness. Pray that their ears would be open to hear the gospel message. Pray that their heart would be soft to say, maybe, just maybe, I need this Savior. Which leads me to my last point. Because when people start getting prayed for, and when they start actually having their eyes open, here's what happens to their life. At least this is what happened in my life. This is what happens throughout the gospels. This is one of the rhythms. Last point is simply this. Is when, you, when I find out I'm not good. So when you find out you're not good. I invite the worship team to come up. We're going to finish up. Um, now... Uh, I am a 1982 kid. 90s, I think, are maybe the greatest decade of my life still. And what I mean by that is I just loved the mall in the 90s. Like, if you wanted to get, like, music, you went and bought a CD, and you're like, oh, my gosh, we're going to go get a CD. And then you go to the mall, and you're walking around the mall food court. You need to get Sparrow Pizza or Cinnabon. Like, like it was the greatest experience of your life. The 90s, the 90s had something special. Now it's like, do you want to, like, you know, uh, get a new song? You just go click, and it's over. Like, there was an event about getting a music song, okay? But one of my favorite things about the 90s was Blockbuster. Put, uh, put the Blockbuster picture up real quick. If you were a, 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 a young people, you don't know about the Blockbuster, just buckle up, okay? If, if you're in seventh grade and your family goes to Blockbuster, you walk in, you're like, tonight's going to be the greatest night of my life. We're going to rent a movie. We're going to pop, cop, pop popcorn. It's going to be amazing. Like, it was like an event, like going to block. We used to walk around like all these movies you could pick from. Like, what are we going to watch tonight? You know? And then you make sure like the new release, you're like, please, new release. And then be an empty box. You're like, they're not here. You know? Um, and, then, and then you go up to the tent and you're like, did anybody return it? Can you check the box, the return box? And, and, they're, and they're, they're pulling the box out and they're like, I found one. I found one. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's why we came. That's why we came. You know? Not all heroes wear capes, you know? And so, and so you go to Blockbuster, and Blockbuster owned the movie market in the 90s. We're talking billion-dollar organization. They, were the t- they couldn't be touched. Could not be touched. Side note, uh, show the next picture of the Blockbuster card. If you actually have a real Blockbuster card, you can make a lot of money. Not even about the message. I just want you to be able to get some cash. I was like... Research, I was like, people are paying $400 for an original membership card? I don't have one. I was trying to find it. But anyways, that's, that's not for the message. That's just for you. Blessings on your life. All right. So get that building. Come on now. Yeah, we're gonna, we're, our building fund is fine blockbuster membership cards. Turn them in, and then we'll sell them and go buy a building in the Bay Area. Now, if you know anything about the story of blockbuster, it's fascinating. Uh, Reed Hastings, the CEO of Netflix, didn't know if uh, his little crazy idea of a company would succeed. And so he got nervous. 
And he said, you know, I think we should sell it to Blockbuster for 50 million uh, because I don't know if we can actually sustain this and if it's actually a, a thing that we could, we could actually keep going. So they tried to set up a meeting with Blockbuster. And Blockbuster, the head brass doesn't even meet with them. It says that in the story, if you read the story of this, that they had to keep themselves from laughing even at the offer of 50 million, like, we're good. And they basically booted Netflix out the door. This is the year 2000. Just fast forward 10 years, 2010. Netflix ends up buying Blockbuster and ends up being worth 32 billion at this moment. Now it's worth billions and billions and billions. Raise your hand if you have Netflix. Raise your hand if you go to Blockbuster. You see where my illustration's going, yeah? Okay. They have a term in the business world, they call it this, they call it the success death spiral. That when you think you're good is the beginning of when you're not gonna be good anymore. When you finally say, I'm good, I'm fine, is the beginning of the death spiral in business. They go on to say, here's what happens. Success breeds pride, I'm fine. And then pride breeds complacency. I don't have to do anything anymore. And then complacency breeds failure and nothing fails like success. This is the rhythm of the success death spiral. And the reality is, is the thing that's hurt you most in your life is you saying, I'm good instead of saying, he's good. Let, let, me, let me put it this way. Um, Muhammad Ali was on a plane and he uh, uh, wasn't wearing a seatbelt. And so the flight attendant walked up and said, excuse me, Mr. Ali, uh, we're gonna land. Uh, we need you to put your seatbelt on. And he responded, ma'am, Superman doesn't need no seatbelt. She goes on to say, Superman doesn't need a plane either. Put your seatbelt on, Mr. Ali. <laughs> well played, flight attendant, well played. Now, the reality is, is you may not call yourself Superman, but a lot of people say, Superman don't need no help. Superman figured it out. Superman does his own strength. Uh, well, Superman doesn't need alcohol then. Well, Superman doesn't need a substance. Superman, Superman doesn't need a dependent uh, a relationship in their life. The reality is, is that you and I are not Superman. That we need a savior. You are not a person who makes mistakes and needs a life coach. You're not a, a mistaker who just needs somebody to fix your mistakes. You're a sinner that needs a savior. You're a lost person that needs to be found. You're a person that doesn't know true love and true life. You don't know what real good is yet, real alignment, real peace. And if you would just give God a shot, and say, I want to encounter that fire. I want to encounter that peace. I want to encounter that joy. I want to experience you, God. I know I'm not good. I remember being a 16-year-old kid, starting on my high school basketball team, fighting with depression and shame. I got the girlfriend that I thought was the best girlfriend I could get. I thought I could find value in sports. And what was starting to drive me nuts at the age of 16 was I was getting all the things that I thought would make me good, but I didn't feel any better. I still feel no peace. I still felt shame. I still felt less than. And then at the age of 16, I had my moment. Fire. Fire. Tears of joy. I cried for hours in my bedroom. And I'd like to tell you that once I got saved, I was a great person, but it's taken years and God's still peeling the layers on this broken person. Trust me, before I was saved, I was not good. My sisters are here, they can attest to it. 
but I've been married for 11 years and I've been saved now. I'm a world, my wife can say I'm great now. Come on now, because God does great things. Come on. There's just something about somebody understanding today. You can't do it on your own. No, I'm good enough. No, it's the most dangerous thing you can say. Today I want to tell you, he's good enough. He can redeem what you don't think he redeemed. He can restore what you don't think he restore. The dumpster fire that you thought of when I said dumpster fire in your life, he can take it and make it heaven on earth. He can restore those things. Oh, I pray that you would give God a shot to show you he's good. Would you bow your heads? God, I thank you that you're, that you're doing the heavy lifting right now, that you're opening eyes, that you're opening our hearts, that you're opening ears. God, that you're showing people that you came to die for not just anybody, but for anyone who would want to say yes to the gospel, that you came to seek and save the lost, the ones that were the least of these, the ones that needed help. And so, God, I pray right now, God, as the Holy Spirit was opening eyes today, if you're in the room today, you want to say yes to heaven, no to hell, yes to blessing, no to cursing. You want to say yes to salvation. You felt something. God was doing something in your heart. Uh, and maybe it's not as extreme as you started bawling in service, but you just go, man, I want to say yes to this, God. I, I want to be redeemed. I want to say yes to heaven, no to hell. Yes to blessing, no to cursing. I want to say yes to salvation. Yes to Jesus. Yes to eternity in heaven. If that's you with every head bowed and eye closed on the count of three, the Bible says there must be some response, some kind of responding to this. And the way we do this is just you raise your hand. We just want to pray for you. And with every head bowed and eye closed, you want to say yes to Jesus on the count of three. One, two, three. Raise it up and raise it high if you want to say yes to Jesus. I see you and I see you and I see you. I see you. A ton of hands this morning. I see you and I see you. Come on now. We can clap for that. We can clap for that. Come on now. Come on. 10 plus people just got saved at the 9 a.m. service. Come on now. We can celebrate that. I just want to pray for you, and then I'll invite uh, Joe, Joe to come up. God, would you use us today? God, I just think about that mustard's experience. You can have the best meal, but if the worst servant is serving it, people are never going to experience it. God, may we be great servants this week. May we love well this week. May we present the gospel in a great way. May we be God kind to people and generous to people. God, use us to advance your kingdom. We love you. We love you. Everybody said? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.